and welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. Uh, before we start, I just want to send a quick reminder to everyone that if you uh, like our podcast, you should like it on uh, iTunes or share it with all your friends or tweet at us. Um, I just want to get that disclaimer out of the way. Today, we have a very special podcast because we have a wonderful guest uh, with us today, uh, Natalie Nahai, web psychologist and author. Hello, Natalie. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. We also have uh, Susan with us, of course, as always. Hey there. Hey. Um, before we start, again, if anyone wants to tweet at you, what are your guys' Twitter handles? Well, mine is um, at the brain lady. <laughs> and mine's at Natalie Nahai. Okay, perfect. Natalie, why don't you um, say hi and uh, who, who are you? What do, what do you like to do? <laughs> who the heck are who, you? Who, who are you here? <laughs> Going with the nice, easy questions. Um, so I, I'm very interested in how our behaviors are shaped by our environments, specifically our online environments. And I'm interested in psychology and also the arts and the sciences. I'm generally quite a curious person. Um, and so anything that, that speaks to the human condition and how we express ourselves and experience life is something that's going to be interesting to me. That's very so, broad. Sounds like a fascinating <laughs> podcast already, and we haven't even started. <laughs> All right. Now, Nat Natalie, I'm trying to remember where we met. Now, I, I mean, I, I, maybe I could back it up. I know that we spoke uh, we were on a panel together. We both spoke at the same session at South by Southwest mm. last March. March. That was a lot of fun. You were amazing. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was we yeah. we there were four of us, so we had like ten minutes each. So it was like really compressed, you know, yeah. talking. Yeah. But now I'm trying to remember. But that was not the first time that we were it together. Was, it was that event in Brighton and we had that amazing Brighton, dinner. Brighton, Brighton. That's what it was. And it was just, yeah. do you remember there was that amazing chef and we had a speaker's dinner and it was in a loft somewhere in Brighton and they made the most extraordinary food. Um, I do. And I remember we bonded over the, uh, uh, the canapes. So let, me, let, me, let me just give the audience a little backstory. Um, <laughs> uh, what was it, two years ago now? Two summers yeah, ago? something like that. Uh, mm. Susan went on a bit of a, uh, a work tour I guess you could say almost like a band eight, and she kind of went she did like city to city in the United Kingdom um, in a bunch of different spots and one of the uh, places she went was uh, Brighton which is uh, for Brighton UX I believe was the uh, was the group if I'm not mistaken That's yeah so they did a conference specifically their, their conference theme that year was specifically um, I don't know exactly how they called it but it basically was you know web psychology and um, and I remember, now, thanks for reminding me, because now, as soon as you said that, all these memories came back, <laughs> because they, you know, I arrive in, in Brighton, in the, in the UK, which I had never been to, um, which is by the, by the water, by the sea, mm. and, um, and then I, all I had was this address, so I hadn't met, you know, I just, I got there by train from London, I have this address where I'm supposed to go for dinner, right, for, the, for all the speakers are going to meet for dinner. And I'm walking down this very dark street, <laughs> yeah. in a, a little tiny alleyway, you know, which Brighton is, I think, known for. <laughs> and I'm using GPS on my phone. And I, I you know, I, it's like, I can't find the place, except my GPS keeps showing me that, you know, you, well, you just passed it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't pass anything, you know? And so then, so I just kept like backing up. And what was in front of me was just like a door, like yeah. just a door, no sign, no anything. This is terrifying. And, and I knock on the door and nobody answers the door. Oh, and I, I, <laughs> I turn the <laughs> handle, you know, it's like in a movie and it's open, you know? And I open it. And of course, it doesn't open to anything. It opens to a stairway. So I don't, I still don't know if this is the right place, but I hear voices. So I think I'm either at the right place. I'm going to walk up the stairs to the dinner or I'm, I'm breaking, breaking and entering into someone's <laughs> home, you know, and I didn't know. Where, and I walked up and that was it. And it was this great big space with all these um, crazy British people. And, uh, 
and this enormous kitchen. And there was this, like a professional chef and his assistant, one or two assistants. And he's cooking right there in front of us, right? And the most amazing, one of the most amazing meals I've ever had. So it was great. There were like a dozen of us. Yeah. And Natalie, you and I got talking about the stuff, you know, we love to talk about, which is psychology and online behavior. And I think we were pretty much ignoring (laughs) most of the other people in the room. We were just talking for like two hours. That that was very fun. And that was a great conference. So any of you listening that, um, have you ever been back to speak there? Um, I don't know if I have. I've had a lot of friends who've spoken there. It's still going really strong. It it attracts a really good caliber of speakers. Um, But in Brighton, there's quite a few fantastic conferences. There's another one called... Brighton SEO, which is also really good, and I know that everyone kind of knows each other, so um, yeah, yeah, that was that was a that was a great trip. And then, um, so when we were talking, when we when we met again at South by Southwest mm. last March, I believe it was, um, was when we hatched this idea. Now about about you coming on the podcast, and mm. I know, um, oh, there's so many things we could talk about. I would like to talk to you when we met at South by Southwest. We were talking about. The fact that we should talk about the ethics of using the psychology of persuasion mm. to um, get people to take action, which is, you know, I mean, that's a lot of what we both end up talking about, whether we mean to or not, mm. because you and I are talking about psychology and what makes people do stuff. Um, especially online. So can we just like talk about that for a minute? Because I've been dying to have this conversation with you. So, you know, (laughs) the basic question is, right? Um, I'll pose the basic question and you can tell me whether you even agree with that question. And Guthrie, with Natalie and I talking together, it's going to be, you know, you can try and jump in, (laughs) just try, just like push your your way in. No, I will, I'll ask pertinent, relevant questions when the time time comes. So, you know, when you, when, whenever I, you know, like you and I are both authors, we write books about, um, you know, how, why people do this or why people do that online. And then, and then, uh, you know, we also write and talk about, you know, okay, so if you want people to press the button and buy your product or sign up or whatever it is, you know, how, what, what can you do to make it more likely that people will take that action? Right. Mm-hmm. As, as, as psychologists, we, we know some about that, but then the flip question is, you know, should we be doing this? And this is okay. Is this okay to get mm-hmm. people to take action? And is there a line somewhere where, you know, on one side of the line, it, yeah, absolutely. It's okay to encourage people by the way you're designing, by the way you're, you're designing your product or your page or your, um, you know, message, uh, on, on Twitter, by the way you're designing it, you're encouraging them to sign up or buy, you know, and, and sure, that's okay. That's what, isn't that what marketing and advertising is all about? But is there a point at which, no, it's actually, you know, becomes questionable or a point at which it's absolutely not okay to use what we know about, behavior and design to get people to take a certain action. And, um, you know, so is there a line? That's such a good, it's such a good place to start, isn't it? Um, I think, I think there is a line. I think the line depends on the people who are involved, but I think broadly speaking, I would draw the line at saying if someone or some brand or any entity is trying to coerce you into taking a decision or taking an action, that you don't want to take, then that, that counts as manipulation. And that's the point at which you should step back and go, okay, actually, where's my agency? What's in it for them? Why am I being coerced in this particular way? Um, and, and that line will be very different for very different people. So for instance, if someone's trying to get you to buy a specific product and they're trying to get me to buy the specific product and you really love it and I actually really don't like it, and they're using the same technique, our subjective experiences of whether that technique is okay or not will be based on the fact um, that we either want to interact with that brand or not, and whether we feel like we're being moved in a direction that we want to or not want to be moved in. Um, my English is going a bit out the window there, but 
basically it's a question of are you creating a frictionless experience that helps someone achieve their goals or are you taking someone down a path against their will towards a goal that is not going to serve both parties? And so it's about mutual benefit versus one-sided benefit. You know, that's interesting. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a hard time. Just, Go for it, just, please. Just for fun. <laughs> but it's interesting what you say because, well, all right, here's, here's, a couple, here, here's a couple of avenues on what you said that I want to explore with you. One is you... You, I think, are, are you're impl- you're implying um, conscious knowledge, and and yeah. we know we you know we know that most behavior of any kind, and certainly most behavior if you're talking about you know signing up, registering, buying, is is deeply influenced by unconscious mm. um, uh, motivations and unconscious knowledge. So you know. Would people even know whether they some they wanted something or not? Would they even know whether it was good for them or not? You know, would, so I, I, I want I want to explore that part. And then the second part I want to explore is that you are um, uh, well th- this 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 idea that that it might be uh, you know it might have crossed an ethical line for me, but not for you. Or vice versa, be based on you know how we feel about the product or service, or, or how it fits in our lives. Um, but then, how can if that's true, then how can can anyone design something and know that they're doing ethical design? And, and then the third thing I'm going to see, I, I I should have written these down. Hopefully, I'll remember them all. The third thing is that it, it's interesting that you're applying. Um, kind of an, an intentionality to it. Uh, and I say that because I've, I've done some expert witness work for the, uh, in the U.S. here we have the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, which um, part of what they do is, you know, make sure that um, there are, you know, the, the websites that are trying to rip you off are trying to get you to um, uh, purchase the gold and silver and then and hidden in that contract that you didn't read is the fact that they now have permission to uh, you know make all these other trades and and access money in your account that you you don't even realize you're doing that when, when they go after those kind of scam artists mm. um, they actually uh, have told me as I've been working with them that they are not uh, they never try and prove intentionality that that the intention of the of the designer or the website owner um, is irrelevant to whether or not um, they they'll win their case. That it's not based on the you know okay this company was trying to defraud you. It's just whether or not the design uh, resulted in uh, you um, taking action that that you weren't aware of. So. <laughs> just a little light question for you, Natalie. Um, which of those three do you want to tackle first? Well, I'm really, really fascinated by the last one that you're talking about in terms of um, when these companies get sued or when they get into legal hotspots that intentionality yeah. isn't something that gets considered. I think that's absolutely fascinating because if you're talking about um, the legality of certain things or the moral component of certain things and whether it can be prosecuted or not um, and the fact that you can only prosecute someone if they've achieved their goal that's a really interesting way of, of thinking I, like, oh. yeah and it's not even whether they've achieved their goal because what they're saying what the FTC is saying is the goal doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether they were trying yeah I found, when they, when they first told me that on the first case I worked with them on I was like what <laughs> you know, yeah, because, it's fascinating. because I felt like I, you know, I, I, I mean, they, and it was so interesting about what some of these, um, you know, designs would do. So like they would have the, this, this, um, a checkbox, right? Mm-hmm. And if you check the checkbox, it means that, you know, they can do all these things later on, right? I mean, they can access your money or whatever it was, right? And they would, um, bring up the form with the checkbox and then pop a window up on top of it and mm. so that you didn't see it, right? Wow. And, and then when you responded to the window, the page, the form behind it would, would then disappear. And of course, the checkbox had been defaulted with a check in it. 
So, wow. you know, it's obvious <laughs> to me, it's mm. like, well, they're doing this on purpose, but it was, and they were like, well, that doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter whether they do doing it on purpose and we can't, you know, that, uh, that, you know, here are the things we're trying to prove and, and intentionality is never one of them. We, you know, that's, I don't know if it's because it, they can't win at that or it's not part of the law. Or I actually probably should have delved a little further into that. Mm. Yeah, so that and that's over here in the U.S. And I don't know, you know, I what do you know what the what your laws over there are like around this? Well, I know that I know that in uh, the Netherlands, uh, Booking dot com, which is a big um, like holiday and hotel booking website that compares different options, that they use a huge number of psychological persuasion principles, including things like scarcity, social proof, all of this sort of stuff, and they got into some you know, hot water a couple of years ago with the Dutch government because they were seen to be taking too many of these persuasion principles and trying to coerce people into specific directions. And so I don't know as to the, the details of whether it was the intentionality, but the Dutch government basically ended up um, restricting how much they were able to use on their website um, to increase sales. So I think it definitely is um, country and culture specific. And the point that you're making, which is such an interesting point, and obviously we know we have to talk about this, is that most of the decisions that we make, we make unthinkingly. We, we don't do it with a huge amount of deliberative effort. So it's not a conscious choice that we're going to sit there and we're going to thick think through every single item that we're going to buy on, on Amazon or whatever it is. Um, so then the question that, that opens up from that is, well, where does the responsibility lie? And we kind of push it around a bit. And the consumer says, well, the responsibility is not on me. I can't possibly be expected to read 58 pages of terms and conditions. And then the organization says, well, it's not on us because, you know, we're only working within the law. Look at the legal aspect. And then the legal aspect kind of goes, well, it's too fast moving. We couldn't possibly tell you what to include and what not to include. We're doing the best that we can. And so it ends up getting shuffled around from pillar to post. And I think the answer really, if it's going to be anywhere, is in having kind of a more collaborative um, approach on what is and isn't ethical at the very bottom line. And for that to happen, there needs to be an honest discussion about the practices that people are using and how that affects you know, customer relationships, how that impinges people's freedom, um, whether people feel that they're being lied to and where you might draw that line. So I think because it's such a thorny and complex issue, it's very difficult to untangle. Can, can I... Um play the role of the uh, contrarian now? Sure. Yeah. So what's the problem? <laughs> you know, have you have you ever eaten bacon or ice cream or there, something that's just delicious? Yes, I would say that. <laughs> I had both of those things today, so yes. <laughs> it's not fair. That it, Which, but it's a totally legal thing that our body just completely loves. And mm. we have we are biologically just driven to enjoy and like and seek out these certain things. Calorie-rich foods, for instance. So mm. we're doing all this. We're, we're, we're running around on whim anyways with everything that we purchase and the decisions that we make. As there Are they really our decisions? Not really. So what does it matter if adver if you know you get some advertisements that uh, that that are fraud inducing and it it's I think your career with the FTC is <laughs> over before it okay okay but in, in, okay so so I'd like to, I just want to draw a line in the sand I suppose because okay. there are two there's two real. There are two, I think in my head, there are two things at issue. There, are, there is um, trying to make, trying to commit fraud, mm. which is the art form of making someone accept like a legally binding, or maybe that's not the right word. Basically that you're, you're trying to make someone um, make a decision that must be made from a legal perspective must be made consciously, like signing a mm. contract, right? In order to have a valid contract, you have to have the consent of the of a party and it has to actually be, right? Like like the party has to be aware of the consent that they're giving. So Natalie, just to, to interject here, um, 
Guthrie has a law degree. Ah, okay. Right. <laughs> oh. I was wondering, I was like, this sounds very well informed. <laughs> this is versus, yeah, yeah, exactly. So versus um, simply, you know, uh, what you could call, uh, I guess the classic example would be the beer commercial where the bubbles in the ad are actually naked women. But you don't realize that the bubbles are naked women. It just kind of yeah. looks like the outline. And so then you are attracted to the beer, right? right. Which would be your classic like advertisers, um, kind of subconscious tricks of the trade to kind mm. of get on your head versus um, like the, you know, the classic FTC case, right? Where click here to uh, to do whatever. And of course, um, but but what you don't see is is if you would have just scrolled, you would have said that you now owe them your firstborn child or whatever. So Guthrie, mm -hmm. you're saying that the that there is no ethical line. The ethical line is the legal line, and so wherever the legal line is, that's the line. I, I because I'm just trying to pin pinpoint what what's at issue. What what do people what what is it that people because because obviously we talk to a lot of people and the one a very popular topic is you know the ethics of brain science so i mean a lot of the work we do happens to be in marketing and advertising and getting people's attention um and right and y you know you have an ad where all of a sudden something explodes right and so you look at that you look at the ad right that's a that's a dirty little trick using our biological instincts to get you know to 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 grab our attention um and there's uh, some people a lot of people think that there's a ethical line somewhere that should not be crossed versus but that's but that's like kind of like a like a trick to grab our attention versus committing fraud um which seems because because it's one thing if you're more likely to purchase something or you're more likely to take an action but it's still your action versus you're now legally obligated to, you know, I put you in an ad. You, you've already made the action. Mm. I don't know. I think it, it falls along a, a spectrum, really. I suppose there's the, the point at which it becomes a legal obligation to be transparent with the client. And if you're not or with the customer, and if you're not, then you end up in hot water versus the gray area, which is are you coercing people in a legal but um, subversive way where they're not necessarily aware that they're being coerced and they later come to regret their decision. So for instance, if you look at dark patterns, bait and switch techniques where people feel mm. like they're signing up to something and then they switch. Right. Well, ethically that was in the gray for quite a while until the UK, for instance, created a law which said that that particular practice was not legal because it was duplicitous and essentially um, they had to update things to reflect, you know, new practices so that it was no longer legal for people to trade in that way in the UK. So I think there is this notion of when we talk about legality and we talk about ethics, um, the law reflects the ethics of the society at the time in which they're made. Mm -hmm. And it takes time for, for the law to catch up with common practice and for the law to catch up with people's expectations around privacy and integrity and um, trade, essentially, what's fair trade and what's not. And that can vary quite su substantially between one particular country and the next. So yeah, I think I think there is definitely a gray area which makes it very difficult to um, categorically state where a line might be because that line is constantly shifting. And, and I think for for um, when I get the ethics question, uh, when when I get it, it's usually after I've been talking about the on um, these unconscious decisions and yeah. the unconscious factors and the mm. you know the idea that um you know w when something is is uh scarce then we, we value it more or or when uh so if i feel there's only you know two shoes left uh, um it'll make it more likely that i'll buy the shoes or um uh you know, the, just just and so much of of the 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 stuff that I teach and talk about is unconscious, right? We mm. are not aware that uh, I that these factors are influencing our behavior and making us want to sign up or make a purchase or make a particular decision. Mm. And so that's when people will usually say, "Hey, wait a minute, is this?" ethical because because of the idea that we're we're trying to get someone to take an action we're trying to we're doing something 
to trigger an unconscious reaction um, that will uh, definitely be in our favor, right, mm-hmm. if you're the person trying to make the sale, um, and may or may not be <laughs> in the person's favor if they, you know, actually have a perfectly good refrigerator and they don't need a new refrigerator, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, let me let me get some lines in the sand then, just from both of you, just just so we can determine where you personally stand on on the issue. Yeah, a movie theater is showing at, at all the movie theaters, all the movies that they show uh, during the movie once every twentieth frame for just a br- trillionth of a second. They flash a picture of soda or uh, candy, right? So that you go and purchase. Yeah, you're talking about the subliminal advertising. Now, now I know that stuff. Probably they've done a lot of research. It kind of doesn't. Natalie, work. It does kinda, it work, or no, do no, you no. know what the latest research is on that? Um, I know that for a minority of people, it can influence um, perception. Uh, there was a study that was done recently with, um, it was a campaign around politics actually in the States and the, the, the anti-Democrat, the, well, the Republican campaign had um, a flashing of image of, of the word Democrat on the screen, but where it focused on the word rats. And they subsequently did some tests <laughs> to see the sentiments about... That's the candidate great. in a rats variant versus a non-rats variant yeah. where it was absent. And they found that it did statistically, uh, it was a significant, um, there was a significant impact even though it was quite small. So I think, and this is one of the key things that, that, I've, that I've kept coming up against, which is that in certain instances, yes, there is a statistically significant difference, but that tends to be very small and only for minority of people. And it also tends not to be particularly long lasting. Mm. So when we're talking about being influenced or manipulated, I think most of the practices that we're talking about, if you've had a bad experience with a company because in a, at a point of weakness, I don't know, like 11 o'clock at night after a couple of beers, you were seduced into buying a T-shirt that you didn't need because they had all these different uh, persuasion principles on the screen. Um, if you get caught out by that company, uh, by that company again and again and again, eventually over time you'll associate them with, you know, f- bad feelings that they're not providing a good service or that there's something that's untoward that's going on about them, and then you're likely to not want to shop with them anymore. So I think uh, my sense is that a lot of the stuff that we cite and a lot of people's concerns are larger than are warranted. Um, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be talking about ethics because I think it's a basic respect for other humans that is sometimes lacking in the practices that we see employed by large businesses. So f- fair enough. And But let's just assume that it is effective enough that a company would, would definitely want to do it. We'll just, we'll, mm. just, we'll just make that as an assumption, even though it's not true. So for a large swath your, of people. Your movie example? Yes. Yeah. Ethical okay. or not ethical? That they not ethical. show the picture of the... Soda and the not yeah, not ethical to the point in which it would need government intervention to step in and prohibit the behavior. Oh, see now you're getting so you're basically talking about is it is it something that one one should make laws about? Yeah. Y- yes. Yes. Be, uh, I'll back up. If if you're uh, if if you're um, uh, opposed to the consumption of uh, meat, right? If you're a vegan or vegetarian, you can make it you can be against you can be opposed to that and not purchase uh meat because you personally think it's unethical but then there are certain things that rise to such a level that it has to you know but but there's it's another level to be like no one should do this right so it's so that's there's a there's a personal preference which and if you don't like it you just shop somewhere else right that's the that's the whole capitalism thing but i'm talking about when you're talking about ethics right something that's so unethical that that you'd advocate for it to be banned at a, at a like mm. government level. I think there's a difference here between the object and the process. So if the process of subliminal messaging were effective, and there's mixed evidence, you know, yes. towards that effect. Right. But let's say, for, for argument's sake, that someone finds that a specific subconscious um, manipulation of behaviors is effective, and therefore you can use it for whatever you want. The question isn't what is it that you're using it to sell, whether that's guns or alcohol or meat or sex or lollipops or whatever it might be. <laughs> the argument, I think, really is, is this process by which we're selling whatever given sort of topic or item or you know, policy or whatever it might be, is the process actually um, 
undermining people's ability to make informed decisions? Is it mm. violating a human right at some level? And if the question results in a yes, then I think it's the process that should be dismissed as opposed to the ability to talk about the object. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that answer. That, that, okay, okay, this is very interesting. So, so let's go. So, let's take the very specific example then. Of let's assume that subliminal advertising is, you know, let's say effective on. I'm just going to throw this out. It's effective on. You know, it's fairly effective. It's effective on seventy percent of the people. Let's just say mm. that. Okay. So, if that were true, uh, now we're in the movie theater. Um, and and they're going to f- do the subliminal messaging to get people to buy you know more more food and soda. So um, it, uh, I'll ask all three of us to answer this. Mm-hmm. Two questions. One should is is it ethical then for them to do it? And two, I've got three. This, these were your questions. Yes. Uh, uh, should we uh, work on a law that that would not let them do it? Uh, do you want Do you want me to go first? Sure. Uh, I think it is uh, unethical for them to do it from a on a personal level, but I think it should be legal. But they must give notice. So. Um, I think I think the the part of it that is inherently you know bad that that like our you know we are walking around with our little moral compass um, and so you you come across little things and you, you just kind of you like yes that's fair oh no that's that's wrong and I think the part that people really don't like is the fact that they don't have control over it that they're not even aware that it's happening um, so so I, I think I would just be like this movie theater you know you'd have to just give a warning to people so at least they understood the the risk that they were taking and then if they don't want to you know have that happen then they they can go to a different movie theater Mm -hmm. susan what do you think yeah i it's it's so i I, first of all i'm just fascinated by the whole question and 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 I and I was kind of interested in my own reaction because it surprised me, um, because my initial reaction is, uh, yeah, that's not ethical. They shouldn't be doing it. Of course, I, and yet I know that it's like all the. I mean, I, I'm a little concerned about um, my consulting project future if I say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of surprised by my answer, uh, but it feels like it's not ethical. And uh, I guess legally, um, I don't know. I was waffling on the legal thing, except that then when Guthrie gave his answer, I kind of liked that one. Yeah, I, I, I am just as a per- personal note. I, I'm not a very, pater- I'm not a big fan of paternalistic uh, government. So yeah. the heavy-handed, you know, thou shall not yeah. do this. I, I'm. I'm fine with as with people making choices, just as long as they understand that their choices are, you know, stupid. Um, that's fine. Feel free to make the uh, stupid for the person, right? The the choices that they make will are probably bad for them, but they're free. But they should be free to make those to choices. Make those choices that yeah. that are as not in their own best them. interest, so long as they understand that the choices they're making aren't in their best interest. All right, now Natalie, what's your answer? <laughs> Oof. Um, <laughs> it's really tough, isn't it? It's it's a very it's a tricky issue. So, um, well, like you, I think that um, a paternalistic legal structure uh, is actually more constraining and therefore more damaging than it is liberating in many instances. I don't particularly trust authority I think authority has to be earned as does respect and so I think that that given my my caveat around my own personal preferences um, I do think that it's important that there should be laws around transparency about this kind of thing however I also think that there has to be that if certain and I think actually most of these practices are not so effective that we need these but if there were to be a practice that was so effective that it were encouraging people who are more vulnerable or at risk 
who were less um, able to ascertain the risks that specific decisions um, might pose them. So, for instance, the obesity crisis or whatever else it might be that then strains an entire nation's taxes, health systems, um, mortality rate, etc. If, if the severity of the risk res was resulting from such practices being legal, I think at that point there is a case to be made about um, making such practices uh, illegal. Uh, but I think that that's, that's a much more stark version of the picture that we'll ever you know, witness in reality. I think also the other point to be made uh, is that if you do make, uh, make it a legal requirement that companies who employ such practices that have been found to be effective to um, disclose the practices that they're using, then market forces will come into their own and people will be able to select for organizations and businesses that don't use those specific practices. And I think this is something that we've seen happen in the organic food movement, in the B Corp movement, in fair trade movements. Uh, we're starting to see it in technology with people taking up ad blockers, tracking blockers, um, phones that might end up ensuring our privacy, taking blackout vacation, putting uh, stickers over the cameras of, of technological devices. Um, so I think there is there is that element of people becoming more literate about the threats that they're potentially exposed to, not only in the psychological uh, side of things, but also in the technological side of things. Uh, and that's where I would be more interested to help inform people about what their decisions mean and how they can make decisions that will better suit them and their goals and their sense of empowerment. Would you like to hear something terrifying? <laughs> sure, why not? Who doesn't hear something terrifying? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, owner of Facebook. Yeah, he puts tape over his. There was a picture of him using his laptop, mm -hmm. and he totally had tape over his laptop's webcam. Yes, most of us have been doing this for years. Yeah, well, you know, and being cited by everyone else as being paranoid. Like, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. Years ago. I'm sure yeah. he knows. If anyone knows about what's possible, it's him. So that should scare you all. No, just inform you. Just, just you know, you could even have. <laughs> I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Nico Sell, who's the the founder of Wicker, which is an encrypted, an end-to-end -end encrypted messaging service in the in the states. Um, although it's also a global service, but she's based out in California, I believe. And uh, and she was talking about how um, you can actually even create Faraday cages for your phones just yeah. by using a jiffy bag with a little bit of uh, aluminium foil in it, just to create enough static charge to essentially cloak your device. Um, so there are people who do this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, they definitely sell uh, all kinds of Faraday purses. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> all right, so, all right. Okay. I, I, I have another example, though. Yeah, go ahead. And then I want to um, bring my, bring my, uh, I, I've, I've been setting you guys up this entire time. Oh, come on. So you make your point. Uh, wait a then... minute, wait a minute. Did you give us notice that you were setting us up? No, <laughs> no. It was a bait and switch to get you to draw firm positions in the sand before I gave you the the twist. All right, go for it, go for it. Well, you, do you want me to give you another example? Yeah, or yeah. Do sure. we find out what, yeah, sure. how you've been manipulating us? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's keep people on the tender hooks. Speaking of Facebook, because that was my next question. Uh -huh. So if you recall, yes. maybe, <laughs> I haven't said it yet. I, well, I know exactly where you're you going, and I think, I think it's a I great think point. I think about a year ago, Facebook ran a little experiment mm. where they um, they adjusted your, your feed. And so some people got a more positive feed. And some people got a more negative feed about, you know, events. And they wanted, they were trying to see if, if your state of uh, well-being and your, your mood was affected by the feed that you were getting. Mm -hmm. And they ran this little experiment. And, you know, you didn't know that they were running the experiment. So, you know, it, was it ethical? for them to run that experiment and try and affect your mood without you knowing that you were part of an experiment? Great question. Um, I think in, in instances like that where we're talking about ethics, not morals, and morals are something which are generally sort of systems that are handed down that are much more rigid in structure. If we're talking about ethics, ethics are malleable. And as such, they're kind of determined by 
I would say, probably large minorities or a majority of a group that then determines what's ethical and what's not, based on the media action to the press release that they sent out, and they said, this is what we've been doing, isn't it amazing? Based on the backlash in the media and from the people who'd been using Facebook, I would say that it wasn't ethical. Um, I think what's interesting from a legal perspective is that they completely covered their asses. I mean, if you, there's a fantastic film that came out it's at least five years ago now, I think it was in 2011, and it's called Terms and Conditions May Apply, and they looked at all the different terms and conditions that you find on some of the most popular sites in the world, including Facebook sites. And they talk about how when you sign up to it, um, and how when we have signed up to it in previous years, how the terms and conditions have changed to grant these businesses, Facebook in particular, but there are others, greater access to our data and greater powers to use the data in ways that they see fit and to change their platform in order to extract certain information from the people who are using it, including, you know, for research purposes. The interesting thing is that their research clause is so broad that they can pretty much get away with anything without having to refer to an ethics committee, which is the kind of structure that psychological research tends to rely on and try to refine to avoid uh, breaches of human rights or breaches of ethical conduct or to avoid outcomes that might be harmful emotionally to the people who are involved in the experiment. Um, when you look at corporations, they're not beholden to that same, that, to that same high standard of, um, of ethics. And I think that's incredibly problematic. Uh, and most people will value the utility and convenience of such platforms over the ethical and emotional um, repercussions that it might have when they use that platform. And these are certain, so, so, some of these repercussions are not going to be seen for years down the line. Uh, and I think that's, the, well, that's another problem, is that the outcomes of people engaging in these platforms, giving their data away, participating in covert experiments, which all sounds absolutely awful, but is essentially what's happening. Um, the results of those sorts of contributions are not going to be felt until another five, ten years, and by then you can't take it back because your profile is being created yeah. and your psychometric data is being sold, which is already happening. I mean, but it's tough because, I mean, Facebook has made it very clear this is their service and it's their data. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, it's right, like, Thank, thanks for stopping by in our store. You know, we can do what we want. This isn't, you know, so I don't. Yeah, they're not doing anything illegal. But I think as a consequence, as they've leaked, well, as they've announced these things to the press and as um, information has been leaked about how this information is being used, uh, a lot more people now are much more passive users of Facebook. You're getting people who are lurking. You're getting people who are moving on to different, more fragmented platforms mm -hmm. to achieve what Facebook does in its entirety, um, specifically because there is such a lack of trust in such a large organization. So I think it is going to suffer, and I think it already is suffering. So so I, I have some follow-up questions. So first of all, if, if you, um, and I'll ask this to both of you, if you were uh, a consultant to Facebook and they and you were in a meeting and they said, hey, we have this idea we'd like you to help us with. We want to, we're thinking about running this experiment, the, the one that they ran. Mm -hmm. um, would you have, would you say to them, wait, I'm, I'm not sure that's ethical? And, and would that, would, so A, first question is, would you bring up the, the ethical question as as a consultant on a project like that and two the next question is um, are you saying that uh, that you know basically we don't have to bring up the ethical question because you know the market will you know there was a backlash and, and you know the market will will regulate this and if companies do things that may not be considered ethical uh, it, it'll it hurt them in the long run. Um, Guthrie, would you like to answer first or would you like me to go? Um, you go first. Um, yeah, as a consultant, I would not, I would not give my time to Facebook. Um, I'm sorry, Facebook, there are some fantastic people that work there and it's not to detract from the work that they're doing. I think there's a lot of fantastic uh, brains, a lot of fantastic people who believe that they're working for a good cause. I personally, based on my own ethics, um, disagree with the covert nature 
the, the well the covert way in which they're appro approaching this research um, I realize it's it's totally legal but I have a serious problem with that and that's actually the reason that I came off Facebook I came off Facebook about three years ago because I completely disagreed with the way in which they were running their business um, and it's not the kind of world that I want to live in it's not the kind of world that if I had kids I'd want them to live in so I wouldn't give my services to a company that was conducting covert experimentation and that was then selling on psychometric data that could then be used to profile people based on age, ethnicity, sexuality, drug use, um, relationship status in a discriminatory fashion to then give people um, different, uh, well, price plans on various products such as insurance. You know, it's a very discriminatory, potentially the, the, the data could be used in a very discriminatory fashion and I don't believe that that's fair. So that's my very hardline stance. It's one of the few hardline positions I have. Um, but I do also think that market forces will adjust for this. I think they already are adjusting for this. And I think that that's potentially, um, although I don't know conclusively, of course, so this is just conjecture, I imagine that that's one of the reasons that, that Facebook are buying up so many smaller companies and moving into encrypted services, which doesn't allow them to extract as much data but which allows them to retain a stronghold over people's interactions and communications online because you know, consumers want to be protected. Otherwise, why would we know that there's so much need and desire for encrypted services? So, uh, I, I mean, I guess the first thing, I, what, what, I, most big companies do all kinds of data mining. I mean, yeah. it's, I, it's certainly not just Facebook. In Facebook's defense, no, it's true. you know, it's any search engine of any tor type, any social media platform. Um, I personally, for just uh, chatting with my friends, uh, I've switched to Telegram, mm. which doesn't, which is a nonprofit chat service run by a couple Russian billionaires who mm -hmm. in Germany and they don't do anything with their data, which Seems nice, um, just personally. But I still, I still use Facebook. But I, I mean, I just have a, I just understand that, you know, it's it's like a Miranda warning. I don't, you guys, I don't think you guys have Miranda warnings in the in the, well, they wouldn't be called that anyways in uh, the UK. But um, it's the uh, anything you say can and will be used against you. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so that's uh, you know right. I I think a lot of people just they understand. I mean, the running joke with all of my friends, right, is that there's there's no, you know, Google knows everything there is to know about me through the internet searches, but, you know, we just, it's, it's okay. Well, you say that, but actually, um, when you're using Google searches, there are so many easy ways to stop trackers. So you can use, use Adblock, you can use Ghostry, you can use a VPN, you can use Opera as your um, you know, the browser of choice. There are so many very quick and easy and accessible hacks to minimize the amount of data that search engines can track about you. When you're talking about contributing self-generated content, whether that's qualitative stuff like comments or rich media, so videos and images, or even just binary stuff like likes, etc., that can reveal a huge amount of psychometric information. And, you know, the searches that you conduct on Google if you've got your ad block enabled, et cetera, um, there's a lot less potentially, if you're using the services correctly, that they can figure out about you because you're not contributing things, you're not contributing things in quite the same way. Well, um, but here's the yeah. problem is that it's really, really useful. I remember, so um, we had typed in, so I had done, we, we were outside of Atlanta um, and we needed to go to a place in Atlanta. So I had done a Google search at, for an address, okay, associated with my mm -hmm. account. We were then driving to that place, okay? Um, I have a Nexus phone, a, a Google Nexus running pure Android. So it, it's very Google experience. I didn't have, I wasn't getting turn-by-turn -turn directions. I was not using Google Maps. I had no, I was not using any sort of, um, Google anything. I was not. It wasn't using any like location, service like services at the moment. Okay, but the GPS on my phone was on, and mm. we were driving. And but 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 before we had left outside Atlanta, I had looked looked up uh, on a computer the directions to the place, so I knew where we were going. So we're driving in this car, and 
without warning, I get a little alert from my phone saying there's been a traffic, a traffic accident on the highway um, and you should consider taking a different route. It only, so this, and so I wasn't using, it didn't know where I was going. It only knew because I had previously done a Google search and it noticed that I was traveling in the direction of which I had previously done a Google search, even though I wasn't actually using Google Maps. And it, and it sent a message to my phone that then saved me 20 minutes from being stuck in traffic. Mm. So it was really, really useful that they were mining everything I do and tracking my every move. But, and, and useful <laughs> and a little creepy. Yeah. Definitely creepy. Um, <laughs> uh, right. But but uh, I don't know if you, how much you've used Google uh, now, but it happens all the time. So like um, y it gets used to your habits. There was uh, I used to go um, and visit a friend's house pretty consistently at like the same time. And before I'd even go, right, it'd be like a Tuesday, right? I'm headed to trivia. My little notice will come up and be like, uh, you know, if you want to get to trivia on time, you better better leave in five minutes because there's traffic. Really? Yep. And you had not you had not <laughs> at you had not set up correct alerts. See, I, uh, I think well, that's I'm using a bit Google now that gives you up. stuff. You can ah. opt out of that, but it's not like I wasn't. I wasn't using Google Maps. I wasn't using like yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. tell it that I you was didn't going. Tell it, just, it, to it just knows. alert me. Yeah, yes. it just alerted you. Yeah, I think that the problem isn't with the technology. I think everyone has to make their own decisions about what serves them and what doesn't, and what's a fair or an unfair value exchange. And I think that will be incredibly personal. So I'm not about legislating that, but I think that as a default, we should be able to opt in to this sort of thing, not opt out. I, and I yeah. think that's that's. For me, the key point is just you should be able to opt in. I'm a huge pro-privacy guy. I worry about this stuff all the time, and I find myself opting in constantly because it's good. But that's so okay. But making the choice—that's but that's great, right? That's yeah. technology at its best. Is you going? Actually, I value the service. I trust the people who are selling this to me. Oh, well, I don't trust them. It's just so, I'm sure they're using it for all kinds of horrible, nefarious purposes. Well, well and that, you know, and this. At least I, that's your choice. Yeah. Well, and this, so, so, uh, you know, when, when we were talking about the, the Facebook example, to me, this kind of goes background in a, you know, we kind of go background in a circle because, again, there are, there are these unconscious forces and motivations that are so powerful. Mm. So let, I mean, just Facebook as an example, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing co I mean, even besides the whole issue of, of, uh, data mining, you know, just that one little experiment of, you know, trying to affect your mood. Right. I mean, there, there's all this stuff is going on and yet we want, you know, this drive we have to connect socially, right, is so strong, um, or, or the drive we have to, um, f for things to be convenient, for me, for to not have to think about things, right, uh, you know, just make things easy, right, system one, um, Daniel Kahneman, system one thinking, you know, I just don't want to think about it, I just want it to be easy, I don't want to have to mess with things, you know, these, this is how we operate, and so we'll overlook, you know, all this other stuff, uh, uh, maybe not forever, but for a while, for a long while, because of these other unconscious instincts and drives and motivations that we have. Uh, and so that's, you know, I, I don't know that, I, I don't think the way our, our brains work and the way we react to the environment, that it, it's realistic or and maybe not even possible that we can um intentionally choose all of this because uh, you know yeah. we have these overwhelming uh drives and motivations to be social to have yeah. sex so it's a perfect that's a perfect segue here here was the twist that i was going to give to oh everybody. good there was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how are you manipulating us so right because i got you to make these ethical stances on these certain things right that if if it was shown that it was effective to do this 
uh, yeah. for a var large swath of people um, that, you know, and you didn't give them warning, it yeah. would be it would be wrong in some way. OK, yeah. um, is are there Hardys or Carl's Jr. in the United Kingdom? I don't know what that is. Guess not. Uh, Hardee's is the. It's a certain kind of fast food. What did you say? The third largest fast food um, chain in the United yeah, States. It's probably it's... McDonald's, Subway, I don't Hardee's, know. perhaps. Um, they, I'm sure they go by something in the United Kingdom. I'm sure they're uh, they they just have a different brand name. Um, no. They have a they have an ad campaign they've been running for a couple years. Okay. Mm. And here's the ad campaign. Um, you have a pure white background usually all right and there is a, a gorgeous scantily clad model and um, she's holding a giant hamburger a, a very large okay mm. she mm. sexily looks at the camera and takes a giant bite of the hamburger <laughs> and like barbecue sauce will drip down her chin and she'll like sex sexually like wipe it off and like mm. eat it okay and then it and then it gives like the tagline and, and the name of the burger they're selling. That's the ad. How yeah. is how is that different than than like convincing people to go um like like you know unconsciously go buy popcorn? I think well the first thing to say is that um, even though it's playing on our sexuality and on on our desire, which are very um, strong forces you can physically see and consciously recall the images that are being shown to you. Okay. Okay. She does have a point. So, 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 so you're saying, so it's, so it's all about, so it's all about uh, being able to observe what's happening. Well, I don't know if it's all about that, but I think that certainly plays that's an the important line. part. Well, that, yeah, that, that would be the difference in that particular instance okay. is that, you know, you're you're being shown something which, you know, if someone said to you, what did you see? You would say, well, I saw a gorgeous, scantily clad model um, uh, taking a massive bite of the burger and thinking about it, of course, it's got sexual overtones. <laughs> Where if you said to someone, what did you see in your, you know, Star Trek Beyond trailer? You'd say, well, it was just um, an advert for Ghostbusters. Did you notice the subliminal messaging? Well, no, I didn't because it was subliminal. And, it, you know, it's a completely different... So, in that sense, you can't recall it consciously, so it does fall into a separate category. So this panel that we've had has come to a conclusion that the that the morality and ethics in the modern era is simply uh, is what's the word is simply about transparency that that it's transparency <laughs> that's actually the issue. It's it's understanding what's happening to your data or what's happening in the messages that you're being sent, and the difference between uh, between ethical or unethical is that the line that that is determined is how much the end user is aware of what's happening. I think that's a large part of it. Yeah. I yeah I I, I don't know I mean that seems to be what what we're saying I've I'm I think that. The conversation is fascinating. I'm, I'm amazed that that it's really the first time I've had this conversation. That's that's a little scary to me, considering how long I've been dealing with <laughs> with the psychology of online behavior, um, or just psychology in general. Uh, yeah, I I'm really fascinated by the by the fact that um, and something you said early on Natalie in this conversation which was you know that that whether something is ethical or not you know that it depends I think that that um, I think that I I thought and I don't I don't even know that I thought I didn't even realize I was thinking this way that there would be like an answer you know that there was a line that you could describe, and if this is true, and this is true, and this is true, then you know you've crossed the line. And in Guthrie, maybe you're saying there is a line. It has to do with with awareness. Um, but uh, but I also think, in addition to the awareness feature, I think we've we've established that that 
there that you have to talk about it and you have to ask the question you know i on your it, so if you are in that that meeting at facebook or wherever um you and and it's and things are being discussed you know you need you whoever you are that might be listening to this podcast you, know, you have to you have to bring it up you have to say okay question you know uh are we still on the on a on a the a side of the ethics line that we want to be on and mm -hmm. talk about being aware and conscious you know can we can we stop and make a a conscious aware decision about whether this particular campaign or plan or design is uh you know can stay on on an ethical line for for the team well facebook made 2.2 billion in profit last quarter i know so. well well we i mean ethics <laughs> and and money don't uh no absolutely i mean i heard i was listening to to uh uh a report right before we got on to do this call about the fact that um, you know Facebook is making a ton of money and and Twitter might be going the way of Yahoo and you know that uh, uh, as a as a tech company you have to be able to say what you are about and how you're going to make money being about that thing and um, you know, Facebook has has definitely figured out uh, how to make money. But I'm also fascinated, Natalie, about you know you said you're not on Facebook anymore. So, um, and Guthrie, you mentioned you know Telegram and nonprofit, nonprofit, right? So, you know, it is. Um, I guess we'll have to save for another conversation about. You know the profitability of this. Can you be, uh, can you behave ethically and still make money? Um, which perhaps is a or conversely, can yeah. you not make money and still behave unethically? Um, recently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I only bring it up because recently um, a Swedish firm got um, the uh, contract from the United States government to build the data hub. Yeah. And all uh, internet traffic in North America will run through a government hub. Oh, that will. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they'll. Um, so the government will uh, will have uh, records of all data that runs through North America. Because that's not frightening or surveillance or uh, you know, <laughs> in I'm breach sure of any of your, your rights. I, yeah. I'm, right. So so you know, it's all you gotta put these things these companies are doing uh, in perspective because the real true data mining that's happening at a massive level is happening on the governmental level. Mm. Oh, well, on that bright, optimistic, happy note, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I probably have to bring this to an end. But before we bring this to an end, um, Natalie, tell you, you, you just finished uh, writing a second edition. Of I did. One of your books. Yeah. You want to tell us what the book is, by the way? Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. I'd completely forgotten about that with our <laughs> fantastic conversation. Um, so it's called Webs of Influence, The Psychology of Online Persuasion. Uh, the original edition came out in 2012. The new edition will be coming out in April of next year, so April 2017. Um, what I thought would be a bunch of light revisers has ended up in a full rewriting of two-thirds of the entire book. Oh, well my that. gosh. Oh, God, I know. I, yeah, I completely... Um, <laughs> I, I miscalculated the amount of effort that would have to go into it, but it's it's um yeah. There's a lot of really interesting research that's come out since, so that's that's that. Um, and what, and what else? Thing. What else are you? Yeah. Anything else Plug you're working some more on? Stuff. You want to oh. tell us about? <laughs> Plug away. Only, well, sure. I mean, but it's not really so much mine. But um, so the other thing that I've, that I've been working on recently is a fantastic podcast with the Guardian on the science of emotion, which I think your listeners might be interested in because it's around psychology and you know, science and emotions and how we live our lives. Um, and that's completely for free. And you can just find that. I think that'll be coming out in August, September time. So, um, what, what's, yeah. Does it have a name? I 
I think it's just going to be the science of emotion. But if you Google Guardian and my name, it will probably come up. <laughs> All right. And, uh, and um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And, oh. and uh, we'll let you like, process how the experience was. And then we might, we <laughs> might bug you and ask you to come on again. Oh, it'll be such a pleasure. It's always really fascinating talking with you. Thanks, Susan, for bringing me on. Thanks, Guthrie. It's been nice chatting with you both. Oh, man, so much fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, Twitter handles again. Susan, after you, my darling. The Brain Lady. And she tweets amazing stuff, so it's well worth following. Um, and I'm just at Natalie Nahai. <laughs> cool. um, if you have any uh, questions or anything, you can email us, me, whomever uh, at info at the teamw.com uh, you can just also go to the teamw.com for various other fun stuff about also what we do and uh with that i'd just like to thank you both so much for hanging out and chit-chatting and uh i hope hope our audience has a really uh great great weekend weekend so i'll talk to you all soon bye thank you. bye